Let me invite you at this time to stand. And we are in Isaiah chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 13. So a series on Isaiah, that's what we're in the middle of. And we come, we've heard Isaiah's call, that was last week, Isaiah's call to ministry, and now we hear this is the message he is meant to proclaim, only it's different than what you might think. And so we'll take a close look at this message that Isaiah is called to preach. So Isaiah chapter 6, I'll read verses 9 through the end of the chapter, verse 13. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and bind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us, that we together would grasp the message you called Isaiah to preach that we would not just hear it, but we would respond and act on it. Uh, we pray for your help that way this morning, and we humbly receive what you have for us from your word, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I was enjoying a quiet Monday night a few weeks ago, kind of sinking into the chair maybe when I was open, and I noticed there was this headline that a Buffalo Bills player had been injured. I don't know if you saw this, so I thought, well, there's Buffalo Bills fans here at Trinity. I better tune in and, and see what's going on. And so I, I turned it on and, and saw trainers huddled around a player, obviously in distress, working on him. But I also saw, as maybe you did, Prayer after prayer offered for this player at this moment of need. Players on one knee praying on a football field right there on national television. And it was quite a dynamic. And I understand one of the ESPN commentators even praying on the air. And it made me think, and we're thankful, uh, this was Damar Hamlin who suffered commodia. Commodio cordis, if I'm saying that right, and that's trauma at the exact wrong moment in the chest between heartbeats where your heart stops beating. And fortunately, praise God, he was in tip-top shape, so they uh, were able to uh, save his life, and he got the medical attention he needs, or he needed, and it's, he seems to be making a great recovery and John Stone Street, who's the president of the Colson Center, he's fond of asking this question, are, is there really any such thing as an atheist? Is there really any such thing as an atheist? And I saw that working out on that Monday night because that question can be asked because really 
Perhaps an atheist, a person who denies the existence of God, just hasn't been challenged in the right way. If you hit America hard enough, we get on our knees. It was true on that Monday night in something small. It's true in big ways as well, whether it's uh, what happened in Uvalde, whether it's what happened on 9-11. Hit America hard enough, we get on our knees. Hit anyone hard enough, and they are no longer an atheist, but call out for help. God has given us this impulse to do that. And the lesson from Monday Night Football is if things get hard enough, anyone prays. Anyone prays. And the reality is, and this is where we interface here with Isaiah 6, that when people are hard-hearted, God turns up the hardness of His message. And it's part of His mercy and His grace. You might read this text and say, this is so harsh. Where is the God of love? But this is how he loves. If our hearts are hard, God makes his message harder still. And that is not harsh. That is, in fact, loving. And it, is, it has to be hard in, in a sense. And what I'm talking about is the unedited, uncensored way of communicating the truth that we are allergic to in our own day, and we're going to kind of talk about that. God is not afraid of the truth in declaring uh, the truth, and that's where this message comes from. It is hard in terms of being uncensored, but it communicates the truth, and it is that kind of communication that this is where the power is. This message that Isaiah is communicating then breaks through the hard-heartedness of the people of Israel because, and, and to do that, it must be a hard message. This is the very type of communication that Christians these days are allergic to, but it's the kind of message that speaks to us from millennia long ago. It still speaks to us today. And so we're going to take a close look at this message that Isaiah was called uh, to preach. It is a message, and this is the first point, it's a message to a still defiant people. Remember, the hard-heartedness gets turned up, so the hardness of the message must equal in order to break through. And you see that defiance still from the nation of Israel Look in uh, verse 9 here. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. In the tone of this message, if you really delve into it, it's that kind of tone, and I'm not saying I ever did this as a parent. Maybe you do, but um, where we say to the kid, go ahead. Where we're tired of saying no, we're tired of sort of guiding them, sort of the niceness of helping them along, and we say, fine, go ahead. Let's see how that turns out for you. And it isn't unloving to do that, to allow the consequences of choices that a child makes. It can be an incredibly learning 
experience if they would take it in humility. So that's the tone here. You understand? God is saying, look, I've already done everything for you. I have done it all. Fine, go ahead. So a little bit of biblical sarcasm here. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. So the idea here is, is that they would hear the commands of God and the call to repentance, but they're not going to grasp it. This is the difference between hearing and actually listening. And the same goes for keep on seeing but do not perceive. How often have you left your keys right out there on the table and you are searching for your keys, you see but you do not perceive that they're right in front of your face. So keep on seeing, but do not perceive. So that's the tone of this message, and it is absolutely necessary because they haven't responded in repentance. They are still defiant. Um, look in verse 10 now. My, make the heart of this people dull, their eyes heavy, bind their, bind their, or their ears heavy, bind their eyes lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. To turn and be healed, this is repentance. To re turn away from our sin to God. What is necessary for that to happen? The heart has to grasp, the ears have to hear, the eyes have to see. This is all a supernatural work of God that He does in the Holy Spirit, working in and with His Word in our hearts, that we would grasp something and then, based on that understanding, turn and be healed. God is absolutely loving and gracious. And there comes a time, even though His grace is an unending resource, there comes a time for judgment. And that's what's being communicated here. The message Isaiah is bringing to Israel is enough is enough. Now comes the judgment. And it is meant as a warning to them that they would turn from their ways. They are past the point, and God once again is calling them back to repentance here. Now, I had somebody, uh, a young person, tell me about there's this new social media app. I don't know if you've heard about it. Uh, it's called Be Real. Have you heard of this? Be Real? Anybody hear this? Few of you have. It depends on if you have contact with young people maybe in your life. And the deal on this, be real, is it's the opposite of having this sort of curated, filtered image of yourself. And what happens is if you have this Be Real app, there's a notification that goes out to everybody who uses it at the same time. This notification goes out, and then you have two minutes to post a picture of what you're doing at that time. So, so the picture, if I understand this correctly, and I don't know if I do, the front camera and the rear camera are used at the same time. So in other words, the, the uh, you know, this is how it would work in my life. You know, the notification goes off, here I am at my desk. The notification goes off, here I am at my desk. The notification goes off, I'm eating. You know, it would be like that. It's very mundane, in other words, and the attraction, that's the attraction to it, is it's not this curated, 
unfiltered thing. The if you post after the notification, after the deadline, it somehow marks that because it's not what you're doing right then in the moment. So you can't, you know, go hop a plane to Cabo or something like that. No, this is your life unfiltered. That's the name of it. Be real. And there's a real attraction to that because there's authenticity, there's vulnerability to that. And I want to offer you this, that what that app offers is absolutely what the Bible fulfills. This idea that it is not a curated message. If you don't repent, you are going to hell is the message of Scripture, and life is found in Christ. And hell is a place of eternal torment, worse, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, but when people say, well, I believe hell is here, I'm not sure where they got their information. Uh, that is incorrect. And the thing, there's an attraction to that, and I, I want to offer you this, that the church has somehow thought, well, if we can be nice enough, if we can couch this message of salvation in acceptable terms, if we can somehow help it along so that it's acceptable to people. So we maybe don't talk about hell as a place of eternal torment, or Jesus is the only way, or that all other world religions are wrong. Or we don't talk about abortion being wrong or homosexuality is a sin. We, we try to nice our way out of this or nuance it. And I want to tell you, it is not attractive in the gospel sense. The message of the gospel is very clear. It is a message of life to those who need it. It's a message of comfort, of hope, of joy, of being rescued and saved. But if you edit out what we are saved from, the gospel is just not that great. If we somehow edit out the badness of hell, we edit with it the goodness of the gospel. And I want to tell you that this idea of the message of Christianity being what it is. I think it's reflected here in the pages of Isaiah in terms, and in these verses, in terms of if you do not turn, you will be condemned. It is very clear. And it is not, understand this, it is not Isaiah's job to somehow make this message palatable. God tells him, verse 9, go and say to this people. Isaiah is not called to somehow create or compose the message that he is meant to communicate. It's right there. And it is time for the church to return to that message. It is time for the evangelical church to return to this message of the gospel this way. Notice here, there was no lack of crowd with the ministry of Jesus. He attracted people. He was compassionate towards sinners. 
and towards the righteous he was confronted. And this combination is really what the message of the gospel is about. Now, the thing is, how do you apply this? Well, I think there are aspects of the message of Christianity, and I encourage you, don't, don't hide from those. Don't hide from those difficult aspects of the truth of the gospel, even when they impact your family and your loved ones. Jesus is indeed the only way. And there is a way to disagree that I think God has called us to where we can be loving to others, firm in the truth, absolutely bold, but patient and loving like we see exemplified in the Savior. So don't, don't hide the message of Christianity. You don't need to nuance it. And at the same time, don't self-congratulate. Don't self-congratulate. And what I mean by that is to say, oh, I'm in this church and we're like the special forces of Christianity. I mean, you know, the pastor just mentioned everything controversial in this world. Jesus is the only way. Homosexuality is wrong. Abortion is a sin. You know, and, and here I am and I'm part of this. Well, instead of self-congratulating, sort of patting us on the back, because what you need, you need to know this tendency. We tend to be really hard on, on people, on the sins that we don't struggle with. But if we were to say, well, part of that gospel call is also that everything I own belongs to God. And so there's a financial implication to the gospel where I'm engaged in giving away that which our world worships and giving it away for free to support the cause in the kingdom of Christ. We need to talk about that message too. So we tend to be very hard. Yes, preacher, preach it. Uh, except if it has to do with financial or being angry or being frustrated with this current administration or government that we're under. And, and we need the whole gospel message, the whole counsel of God's word, which humbles us understanding that the obedience to Christ challenges each of us in different ways, in different ways. So endeavor to be a community uh, with people that when we say the hard thing, we're saying it in a way that invites others to come along on this journey and what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And when we address difficult societal issues that maybe we don't struggle with, that's not time to, self, to congratulate ourselves. It's time to reach out to those who struggle in those sin areas that maybe we don't and have the same kind of compassion on them that God has had on us. So that's, that's the message of Isaiah. I love it. It's unfiltered. It's authentic. It's raw. It's unedited because it's going to a still defiant people. And Isaiah is not under pressure to get creative. Go and say to this people, boom. At the same time, this message is delivered by a still sovereign God. So you have a still sovereign God. Look at verse 11 and 12 here. Then I said, so this is Isaiah's response. Then I said, how long, O Lord? Oh, that's a good response, isn't it? Not only did Isaiah say back in verse 8, 
Here I am. Send me. He says, how long do you want me to deliver this message? How long, O Lord? He is submissive to God's sovereignty. So God's sovereignty, understanding that, is that God rules and he reigns. He doesn't need anyone helping him out. And Isaiah here submits to that sovereignty. Here I am, send me. But he also says, how long, O Lord? How long do you want me to proclaim this message? And God articulates here the length of time until, look at verse 11, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people, the land is a desolate waste. God is saying this is the extent of the message, but he's also saying sovereignly, this is exactly what's going to happen. This would be like standing in the middle of a bustling city and saying until all of this is gone, that's how you're going to proclaim it. And what it is, God sovereignly orchestrated the judgment of Israel through the exile. Verse 12, and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. This was the land flowing with milk and honey that God brought, promised to them. And he's saying that because of their disobedience, he's going to remove them. How have they disobeyed? Just to refresh your memory, uh, Isaiah chapter 5, look at the end of verse 24. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. So they are living in that disobedience. God is calling them back, warning them, and he is sovereign enough to do that. Now, God is sovereign. Why is Isaiah responding this way? Why does he say, here I, here I am, send me? Why does he say, how long, O Lord? Recognizing the sovereignty of God, what's the difference here? You got to look at the earlier part of chapter 6. Isaiah saw God. Look at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. It is Isaiah's theology. It's, it's what you think about God that leads you to a place of submitting to him. If you have a high view of God, then you are ready. Lord, send me. How long should I declare this message? But as well, notice what happens. Isaiah sees God, and what's his response? Woe is me. Look at verse 5. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says, I've got a sin problem. Woe is me. And what does God do? He addresses it. And we read of a seraphim taking a burning coal. And at the exact spot in Isaiah's life, he needs help. I'm a man of unclean lips. Where does that burning coal touch him? On his unclean lips to purify him. Verse 7. So, what I'm saying here is it is the experience of God's grace that drives Isaiah to this obedience and submission to God's sovereignty. It's because God has graciously acted in Isaiah's life that he's able to say, here am I, send me. He's able to say, how long do you want me to proclaim this message? And so, Likewise, in our own life, we've got to ask the question, who is on the throne of our life? Who is on the throne of your life? Who is 
driving the direction of your life. That's going to be based on what your experience of grace is. And there are times that we sort of try to grab the wheel back or maybe we think we can get into the throne of our life and we can make decisions and we can do things. And certainly God has given us the ability to make choices, but let us understand God's the one who is sovereign, not us, not us. And our experience of grace means that we don't get to pick how our life goes. We don't get to pick what happens to us. And certainly we live in a fallen world. If we are on the throne of our life, we need to get off and get out and ask God for help in submitting to his way and to his plan. So what you see here in Isaiah 6, you not only see the content of a message meant to be proclaimed, you see someone who has experienced God's grace and is submitting to God's will and his way. And likewise, that should be our experience too. Isaiah sets an example for us then. How long, O Lord, that you and I would be obedient to what God has for us, whatever he has in our life. Why? Because he is sovereign. So we're focused this morning on the message of Isaiah, and it's a message to a still defiant people. I told you it was a hard message. It, it, it is a message that is turned hard to break through the hard-heartedness of Israel it's a message delivered by a still sovereign God. And we'll wrap up with this. There is hope. It's a still hopeful message. And Isaiah does this many times for us. There is a crumb of hope. It's just a crumb. But it's still there. It's still there. And what you have to do as you read through Isaiah on this side of the cross. On the other side of the cross from Isaiah, we read Isaiah, and you have to take these little crumbs, and you have to be hopeful. And the little crumb, it's, at the, it, it's in verse 13 here. This is why the message is hopeful ultimately, and though a tenth remain in it. So right there, what we're told is the devastation of Israel will not be total. There'll still be a remnant left. A remnant that is faithful to what God has done in the life of Israel. A remnant who God is still working with and responsive to their repentance. It's only going to be a tenth. And though a tenth remain in it. It will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak. So a terebinth is a kind of tree. And so the imagery here is that it's going to be burned. There'll be a stump that remains when it is felled. Here's the hope. The holy seed is its stump. In other words, the offspring is where the hope is. That from this remnant would come a suffering servant, the Savior, who's going to be foretold in Isaiah 53. But nearer to that, you get the hope and the identity of what's going on with the stump if you turn a few pages forward to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. 
And here's where the meaning of this stump is brought into full relief and uh, clarified for us. So Isaiah 11, then shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So Jesse, David's father, remember Jesus in the line of David. So the stump is identified here. The stump that remains, the holy seed is its stump. Chapter 11, verse 1, clears this up. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now we're describing who Christ is here. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide what decide disputes by what his ears hear. So the imperfectness, if you go back to chapter 6, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive, Jesus is the one who perfectly perceives and understands and has the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. This is the perfection of his rule in the foretelling of the one who would come. So it's hopeful, ultimately, because This real, authentic message is delivered, a message of turn or you will be condemned, repent or else. But there's hope. God will deliver a remnant to be faithful to him, and from that remnant our Savior would be descended from. Certainly you've seen, perhaps on your property, you've cut down a tree, and then you come back, and there's a branch shooting off of that tree. Life is still there. You know, we had a Rose of Sharon plant, and I am not uh, much for the gardening and all that, and it was too close to the house, and it really grew big, and it was up against the house, and so I thought, okay, I've got to pull this thing out because it's shading other plants around. It's too big. And so pulled it out, and sure enough, uh, the next spring, it was back again. A little smaller, but it was back again. And this is a picture, really, of the gospel and the resiliency of the gospel message in our Savior always surviving, always coming back, always blooming anew and afresh, no matter what happens in this world. I don't approach what is going on in this world with a high degree of worry and anxiety. Why? Because of the promise. The holy seed is its stump. You can't cut a stump down. It's already been cut. Jesus, the offspring, the hope, the message of hope that no matter what happens, God's plan of redemption will continue. His provision for sinners through Christ, we celebrate this. Yes, judgment will come, but for those who trust in Him, this hope is theirs 
This hope is ours. So Isaiah's message is a hard one. It's challenging. It is tough. It is hard, but it is meant to break through with a message of hope and promise that Jesus would come to right all that which is wrong. He is the one who will come. He is the one we hope in. Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank you that indeed you have given us hope even in the midst of a difficult and hard message. I pray for each of us that we would receive this, that if there is repent, repentance that needs to be offered to you, you would show us where that needs to happen, that you would humble us, that we together as your people would trust in you, and that we would be humble, and that we would walk with you. And we thank you that you are still sovereign, that no matter what happens, what takes place in this world, uh, we can trust in you. And we pray that the location of our hope would not be in the things that we do, what we organize, what we hope to achieve, but that our hope would ever and only be in the one who would be descendant from David and would rule and reign on his throne forever, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.